Well, we are in the middle of, uh, of a worship series, a sermon series called uh, The Book of Acts, quite simply, and just kind of trudging, trudging, just kind of walking through uh, what the first church did in terms of, when I say church community, and how it expanded and the Lord continued to bless the efforts of obedience and of faith, and, and even in the midst where things weren't going well and they had to take a couple steps back and a few steps forward, just that we would see that and how God honors and moves his church to achieve his purposes, and that maybe that we would see as a church, it, we're not that much different. The times change, sure, but the struggles kind of remain, and, and, and what God's call for us also remains that we would uh, share his gospel without hindrance, and we would do so with gladness and with boldness in our hearts. And so hopefully you're seeing that as we're walking through, walking through this entire series. Uh, if you have those Acts journals, uh, uh, we'd love to have you take them out. Uh, if you got a bulletin instead of that, you can turn it to the back where it says notes. Did you know there's a notes section in the bulletin? Huh? 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 Wow. But, uh, but I'm gonna, we're going to be a little interactive here this morning. I'm going to ask you to write something down. You're thinking, this is not school, sir. But uh, I do want you to write something down just to help us get our minds kind of working uh, of where we are at in the book of Acts today. So, if you would, open up to a blank page in your journal or on the back of that, uh, of that uh, bulletin. There's some pencils in the back of the pews. Write down this at the top. I want you to please think of three examples of when it is difficult to stick to a task or keep a commitment. Give me three examples or instances why is it hard to possibly stick to a commitment or, or stay with the task? Take one minute and do that. And while you're doing that, I'm going to scan the room, and everyone that's not writing is going to get silent judgment. No, I'm just kidding. That's fine. Take three, three, uh, three things just to think about that. What would those three things be? Three things that make it difficult. you're thinking about those things. I'm going to talk through it in the interest of time. Uh, one of the things, as I thought about that question, I thought about a time in my life when it was difficult for me to stick with a task, if you can imagine. Uh, and uh, those, uh, those would be, uh, obviously, uh, if you're like me and, and, and struggle with, with weight up and down, it would be a diet. You know, I always joke that when I break a diet I, and fall off the wagon, I push the wagon off the mountain and watch it burn in effigy and then roast marshmallows over it because why not, right? You know, that's where that's at. But one instance that I did think about was in junior high. Now, you all may have heard before, I used to wrestle in junior high and I was actually not too shabby if I do say so myself. Uh, and junior high is seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. Uh, ninth grade is high school, but the ninth grade came back to wrestle with, with the seventh and eighth graders. And I grew to not like wrestling. And my dad instilled this value in us and myself and my three sisters that if you sign up for something and you make a commitment, you're, gonna, you're going to try to see this through. You're going to see that commitment through. We're not going to give up in the middle of the way. We're going to try to figure it out, work hard, and, and press on. My, in between my 7th and 8th grade year, they had this, this gruesome torture that they put little 7th graders through called wrestling camp. And I signed up, unbeknownst to me, to go to wrestling camp. And this is in Pennsylvania, and where we went was Lock Haven University. Does anyone know that university, Lock Haven? Okay. If you're familiar with Lock Haven in Pennsylvania, it's out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of mountains. Okay? And the dormitories where they housed all of us children... 
children, where they housed all of his children, was at the top of the mountain. And to get down to the gym where we had to then wrestle all day long, okay, all day, morning, afternoon, and evening sessions, you had to walk down at least 50 flights of steps. If there was two flights, there was 50. Just down the mountain. And even though it was down the mountain, I kid you not, it was uphill both ways. Down this mountain. And I am like, first day thinking, oh, I didn't sign up for this. This has all been down, I've been down the steps like this. And you know what else was bad? The dormitories did not have air conditioning because this is an old Pennsylvania who didn't believe in air conditioning because it's not that hot. It is that hot. It is that hot, everyone. And so not only did I wrestle in the morning and have to go back up those steps and then get into the dormitory where the elevators didn't work and have to go up even more steps to the dormitory, there was no air conditioning. So you can imagine that this week, week of wrestling camp kind of did me in. I was like, you know what? I don't really care for wrestling anymore. But because I signed up for wrestling camp and because the team paid for it, you had a commitment, which meant that if you went in wrestling camp in seventh grade and it was paid for, you had to wrestle in eighth grade or you had to give back the money. And so as much as my dad was all about see the commitment through, he also valued the dollar and was like, <laughs> we're not paying that. So you're staying with it. And so in eighth grade, I wrestled through all of eighth grade and and I just, I just didn't like it. It was not for me anymore. And so ninth grade came. Remember, I'm supposed to see through a commitment, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. But somehow dad forgot, I guess. I don't know, because maybe I was in high school, out of sight, out of mind, and I did not stick with it. I dropped it like a hot potato. I was like, I am not doing that anymore. And as you wrote down your reasons for the examples of why it's hard to stick to a commitment and task, my reasons were it was too hard. The competition, the pressures of competition I didn't enjoy, and the endurance that it took, and the practice that was needed to be successful. I, didn't want to, I just wanted to have fun, and I just didn't want to do that. And so I, I hung it up. I said, I am done. My wrestling career is over at the ripe old age of eighth grade. These are the things that make it hard to stick with something. Pain, discomfort, the requirement of perseverance. Did anyone write any of those things down? Raise your hand if you had something very similar. My question also now is, but what about with God? So if you had to think of that same question and think of it in terms of your relationship with the Lord, what are some examples in your life that make it difficult to stick with, to remain with, and to stay with God? Maybe you never thought of that before. I mean, I think about that. I think about, uh, about that a lot in terms of things that could happen in my life that would knock at that and hoping that faith is strong enough. But there are things that could happen that really probably challenge that. Last week, we talked about divine delays where God kind of presses the pause button. That could be something that gets into our stuff and makes it hard for us to stay with God because we're on our timetable and we want our timetable to happen when we want it to. And, and if it isn't happening, very quickly we can turn that into, God, are you even there watching? What are you doing? Some other examples that could impact our stick-with-itness with God is the impossible circumstances to overcome. If there's something in front of us that just seems insurmountable, we think no way is this going to happen. Or it could be some traumatic event. You could have been, had abuse in your life. You could have been wrongfully imprisoned. I don't know if that's happened to any of you. It could be an illness. 
Maybe you see where I'm going with this. The Apostle Paul endured a lot of those very same things. And what we're going to see today in Acts with Paul, Timothy, and Silas, the trio travel companions, they run into some continued trouble while they're in Philippi. And it feels like one divine delay after another, and no one would really blame Paul for packing up his toys and saying, you know what, this little experiment in Philippi was great, Lord, but we're out. We're hitting one thing after another, and we got to go. But that doesn't happen with Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They stay the course, even when it seems impossible for them to do. And we get a fuller picture of the transformation that Paul is going through and it continues to, to happen in his life. Pastor Jen has, has had the privilege to talk about Paul a couple times and really laid it down that this is a process for Paul, this transformation, going from this, this Jew of Jews who persecuted Christians and now what we see before us today, how he used to press on and pursue after killing Christians and now he presses on and pursues in the spirit of the Lord so that people would know who Christ is. That just doesn't happen over, overnight. The transformation continues to build within him, and we see his staying power. Everyone say that, staying power. Staying Paul has staying power. Today, we're going to learn what that means. It means to remain in and with Christ, even when it just does not make sense. Y'all excited for this? Let me see excited faces. Good. We're going to dive in on this. There are two ways that we're going to discover this today. How does Paul have staying power? One, I believe it's his genuine belief, his genuine belief in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ has provided salvation for him. And I'm going to lift that up and, and put that out for y'all. And y'all may be thinking, oh, that's a no-brainer, of course. But I'm honing in on that word, genuine belief, because sometimes we say it with our mouths that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we struggle on the belief side of that. We don't quite grasp what that fully means and how that is supposed to completely impact everything within us, our point of view, all of that. I believe Paul sees that, and we can see that in his writings to the church in Philippi, Philippi as well. And the second thing is not only his genuine love for the Lord and, and his salvation, but his genuine love for other people. Him, the pursuer of, 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 of hated Christians and killing them, and now saved by grace, how that has transformed how he loves other people and what motivates him. He's got staying power. He remains and he stays even when it doesn't make sense. So we're going to open up the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34, pages 1099 to 1100. In the back of the pews, there are Bibles there. Please open them up to those pages. I want you to follow along and read with me if you can. If you've got a Bible app, you can look at it on your phone as well, your own Bibles. That's good too. We're going to look at Acts 16. If you want to put a finger in the, the book of Philippians, we're going to go back there sometime too here today. But let's hear where we are at in Acts and how we discover the staying power that Paul has. Acts 16, 16 through 34, hear now the word of the Lord. Now remember, they just got to Philippi, no synagogue present. They find a meeting of prayer where women are gathered and they are considered worshipers of God, Gentile worshipers of the, of the Jewish God, but not culturally Jewish. They haven't gone all the way to the Jewish side of things. And so with the no synagogue present, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are like, we got to, where, where is God calling us? He's called us here to Philippi. Where are we going to go? 
stumbles across Lydia, there is a conversion of Lydia, and now we pick up where that, where that has left off. Verse 16, as we are going, and so when I looked at this, I thought, is this the same day or a different day? And what I could find in my studies is that they continued in Philippi and they continued to go back to that meeting of prayer because that, I think, they realized is the ground, the fertile ground where God has called them to be. So as they were continuing to go to the place of prayer, Luke says, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, you would think that that's a great thing. But the fact is, is that it's coming from an evil spirit. See, remember, even the demons and the, and the evil spirits cry out and know who Jesus is. And so she's doing this, and this is grating on Paul a little bit because daily she's following them and just laying this down. So just imagine some person back there just, yeah, and and pointing at you. And after a while, Paul's getting a little tired of it. I think he's worried that it's going to impact the integrity of his mission because even though she's saying it, it's kind of mocking a little bit. And he doesn't want anything to impact this mission whatsoever. And she kept doing this, verse 18, doing it for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, meaning troubled and grieved, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her, their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Real quick, this is a faux pas because what these men have done is they have mischaracterized Paul. Even though Paul is a Jew, what else is Paul? A Roman citizen, and that comes with some rights, and that comes with some due process that's not happening here. Whoopsies. Verse 21, they advocate customs, they said, that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them, and they gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, Paul has been stoned. And now he has, has he been stoned twice? I'm losing count. And now he has been beaten with rods. And they inflicted many blows upon them and they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them there safely. And having received the order, the jailer puts them in the inner prison where the vilest of criminals go and fasten their feet together. Now at midnight, you would think all hope is lost. They're in jail. They're in Philippi. They're not missioning. You're not being missioned to anybody, but that's not Paul and Silas. At midnight, they decided to pray and sing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. How great is that? And when the jailer woke and he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword out to kill himself. Because you remember, this is a big faux pas for anyone that's... I would not want to be someone who guards a jail because if anything happens and that person goes away, you're the one who dies. And so he's ready to kill himself because he's thinking... They're all gone. The doors are open and they're out. But Paul cries out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Isn't that interesting? The doors have swung open. The chains have been released and yet they stayed. They stayed. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. And they spoke the word to, of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And that same hour he took them uh, and washed their wounds and, he and they baptized him at once, he and his entire family. Then they brought them up into his house and set food before them and they rejoiced along with his entire household because of, he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The rest of that, if you want to read on to it, is back on that Roman, Roman rights. Because once they realized that he was a Roman citizen, the magistrates were like, well, just let him go quietly and we don't need to worry about it. And Paul in great boldness is like, absolutely not. We're going to march out there and you're going to, everyone's going to see what you did to me as a Roman citizen and it was, it's, it's a whole thing. But we're going to focus here, here on the middle. Paul has staying power. Group all of these scenes together for me. We've got Lydia. We've got the slave girl. We've got the jailer. In each of these instances, Paul could go, right? He comes to Philippi. There's no synagogue. His order of operations is to go to the synagogue first. Well, that's not there. And that was last week. We talked about that. He could have gone. He could have been like, I got the dream that I had was wrong. Let's, let's figure out, let's go someplace else. But he doesn't. He stays, he sticks to the course, he searches and finds where is the, the fertile land that God is calling me to go to preach the word. Then you have the slave girl who's following and annoying him the entire time. He could have just dismissed her. He could have gone to some other place. He could have lost her, he could have had her arrested. He could have done all sorts of things, but he doesn't. He gets annoyed, so, I mean, he's human. He gets annoyed and then he turns and then provides her the freedom that she needs. Get out of her. Now, we don't know if she then goes on and becomes saved or anything, but she does experience the power of Christ and that that evil spirit is no longer within her. And then in the jail, the bonds and everything are broken and the doors are open and he could have gone. He could have left. Now, jailer could have lost his life, but for some reason, he stays. He stays there, not knowing whether or not that jailer is going to be like, I don't know how this happened, but we're going to put these bonds back on and slam the door shut. But he and the prisoners stay and they remain. What empowers Paul's staying power? And I believe it is his understanding and experiential knowledge. Say that, experiential knowledge in the salvation that he has received in Christ. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to experience. Now, Paul, we know, experienced a very tangible salvation experience, right? Blind, saw Jesus on the road, whatever. That may not be our experience here. I don't know of any stories in here that people who were blind and then saw Jesus and then... And if you do, I'd love to hear about it. That's great. But I don't think that has happened in this room. And your salvation experiences might be different. And that's okay because we are also promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just as powerful as he was then as he is today, brings us that awareness and that experiential knowledge where we truly experience who Jesus is. And when that happens, transformation, points of view, our, our worldview must also be transformed right along with it. And that's what I think happens here with Paul. I think Paul has this knowledge and, and this mission that's placed on his heart. And so he's thinking, even though there's times for me to go and, and, and pack it all up and go someplace else, the Lord has called me to this place. I had a dream. He said, come to Philippi, and I am here until the Lord calls me out. It just highlights his devotion and his power that is rested on Christ. 
This should be true for all of us. And I think what happens is our struggles are is that we say we know Jesus and we say that we know his salvation, but we have a trouble believing it. Why would Jesus save me? I know me. I know the list of things that I do wrong. Why on earth would he look upon me and call me by name and say, you are mine? But these mental gymnastics only serve the evil one because when we listen to that, our sinfulness, the evil one, the devil, it splits us off from God and we listen to the whispers into our ears that say we're not worth it. And we begin to think that God isn't worth it and we walk away from him. Often we're listening to the wrong voice, everybody, when that happens. If you ever find yourself in that situation thinking, am I worth the love of God? You are listening to the wrong voice. But Paul gives us this example of a heart fully transformed by Christ and it empowers him to stay through the floggings, the stonings, and the wrongful imprisonment. How do I also know that what's driving Paul is his belief and his experiential knowledge in Jesus Christ and how that salvation has made all the difference? Flip to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians. Now, this letter to Philippians, when he writes it, this is not, the, this is later that he's writing it. This is not now while he's in jail. But listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Remember, how does Paul get empowered to stay? It's his belief in Christ. Verse uh, 7 and following in chapter 3. He says, whatever I gain... I, that I had, and this is coming after he talked about his great prominence as a Jew. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What a powerful statement of faith. I think this is what empowers him to stay because he knows the true Lord and he knows the power of that salvation has completely set him on the right path. He always thought he was doing the right thing, being the Jew of Jews and the, the persecutor of Christians. And then having that experience with the Lord, views change and he realizes just how far off he was and the new way that God is calling him to, to go after and to, and to be. Do you, review, do you view your relationship with Christ in this way? To welcome in the sharing of his sufferings because it means that you know him and he knows you and to count everything in your life that you have gained as just rubbish when compared to the knowledge of Christ and his choice of you. If you're like me, that is not a daily thing. If you're like me, that, that comes and goes sometimes. There are times where, where I, I know this and believe it and cherish it and then finds that I, times that I just get tripped up and I allow the difficult and the trials and the things that are going on here in the church or at home or, or whatever it may be just to weigh on and just, just not think about those things. To not think about the trials as a means of a way of strengthening my faith in Him. That's you. You're not in, in bad company. 
When we do this, we once again are trying to control the outcome of our lives, and we're refusing to lay this burden on Christ to trust Him with it. We're saying, no, I will do it, not you, and that's where we get into a bad situation. The other thing that we struggle in our society when things get hard and what can affect our stick to itness with, with the Lord, our staying power, is that in our society we are so groomed that if it's hard and if it's not joyful, and I use that word lightly, I mean happy, if it doesn't give you happiness, if you're not living your best life, we ditch it. That's, and that is, that is something that you may hear, a mantra that you may hear from, from, from lots of folks. I'm just trying to live my best life. And if it's not my best life, this isn't having me my best life. It's not bringing me that happiness and that fulfillment that I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to go do something else. But if you have that experiential knowledge with Christ, you realize that your best life is only the life that is lived that Christ has claimed. Do you get that? Your best life is the only life that's lived that Christ has claimed. Because everything else of the world is just empty promises of happiness that are not going to sustain in any way, shape, or form. What empowers Paul to stay? What empowers Paul to stay is he knows, he knows that his salvation and his eternal promise is hid with Jesus Christ on high, and that is what's going to empower him forward. It changes his whole entire point of view. And that point of view is, is that People need to feel that same experience with Christ. It brings me to the second point. What empowers him to stay is the mission for folks to know who Christ is. Is the mission for folks, it's his love for other people. It's his love for other people. In Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, let me, I'll just read it to you real quick. Listen to this. This is what he says. He is. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that means jail, was really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the world and the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment was for Christ. And for most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then we jump over to verse 24, and he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. He says to them in this letter, I've suffered a great many things. I've suffered, and we know, floggings, stonings, imprisonment. I've suffered it all. And you know what? I would much rather go on to be with Jesus and be in heaven and just be rid of this whole thing because that's where I know where I'm going and that's where I know it's going to be great. But he says, you know what? I think the better choice is to remain in these sufferings for your sake so that you know who Jesus is, so that you experience the saving grace of Christ. I choose to remain here and suffer along as long as I can so that you come into that faith. Wow. Do you do that for other people? Do you choose suffering and trials for the sake of others to know who Christ is? I, I don't know if I've ever had the opportunity 
to experience true suffering like that for the sake of others. So I can't tell you whether or not I would do that or not, right? But what I can say is this. That all through the study of Acts, I continue to say to you all, let's be bold and courageous witnesses. Let's get out of our comfort zones in these pews and let's go out. Let's invest in somebody. Let's, let's share the gospel with someone. And that is an uncomfortable thing to do. But for the sake of others, what does our comfort mean? And that's the challenge here. If we truly have that experiential knowledge in Christ, it changes our point of view to see other people as worth hearing the gospel, no matter who they are, and no matter how uncomfortable it may make us feel. There's an old story from Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you know who she is. She is, uh, she was, uh, her and her family were um, keeping Jewish people safe during the World War II Nazi regime and things like that. And they get caught and then they go to uh, um, a concentration camp. And in that concentration camp, there's a guard there that uh, is abusive. It's abusive to, to the girls, abusive to the, to the women uh, as they're going into showers and things like that. And it's just a bad situation. Years later now, she survives. Her sister does not. Years later, she's now become an evangelist and a public speaker for Christ. And she's giving a talk. She's giving a, a speech. And the person that shows up is the guard at the concentration camp. And you may have heard this story. And after she gets done, she sees the guard come up to her. And she's frozen in fear. She's frozen in fear. She just gave a talk about forgiveness and the great forgiveness that we receive in Christ and how we're supposed to share that with others as a sign of our faith in Christ. She just did all of that. And here comes this guard whom she remembers the abuse, remembers seeing her sister frail. He comes up and he says to her, Fräulein, what a great, a great message on forgiveness. He says, I was a guard at the camp that you're talking about. And I know that the Lord has forgiven me because I've given my life to Christ, but I want to, I want to hear it from, from you. Will you forgive me? And he extends the hand out to her. And she says, I am frozen in fear. She says, I cannot bring myself to forgive this man and has this prayer and says, Lord, you are going to have to make this happen. I can extend the hand, but you're going to have to empower, empower the forgiveness. And when she does that, it says this. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And when this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes, I forgive you, brother, she cried, with all my heart. And then she later writes, if there's one thing that I've learned at 80 years of age... It's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them from fresh, from God each day. To power on and remain like Paul does, to have that staying power, it requires him to have the eyes to see people, no matter who they are, as worthy of hearing the gospel. 
Their salvation, their, their repentance, that's all in the Spirit. That's all on God working on that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to faithfully preach that to you, no matter what discomfort and no matter what sufferings come to me. And I think of this quote from Corey Ten Boom and that we can store up all these good behaviors and, and good feelings all we want, but that kind of stuff, to be uncomfortable, to willingly put ourselves in situations that don't make sense, to go to people that we have no idea if they're going to accept us or reject us, that comes from the Spirit. That comes from God living in us. It comes from our experiential knowledge of our salvation in Christ and our love for others, that the Spirit changes our eyes to see people who are worthy, worthy of that, that love. Oh, Lord, give us the eyes. Give us the power to remain with you in situations that don't make sense, to stick with you till the end. Amen. Amen. My friends, go now in the spirit of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go with a message and a mes message and a mission in your heart to share the gospel without hindrance. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all good people said, Amen. Amen. Have a good day.